It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you all, and courtesy of Brent, uh, for the next three hours we hope to entertain you with uh, some rugby league to begin with. We've got uh, Kempi staying in the studio very kindly to talk about uh, the NRL and uh, more specifically about the Warriors and their new head coach. He uh, went along and met some of them the other day, so a little bit more in depth about that. Uh, we're at about uh, 9.30, we're going to open up the lines and uh, give you a chance to uh, have some talk back. Uh, we've also, it's on 0800 by the way, 0800 is a phone number, or you might like to text us on the Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight double three. Have a multi for you before uh, 10 o'clock, uh, then Simon Hampton will be with us uh, after 10, uh, because we're uh, talking very seriously about the NFL now, the Super Bowl is only two, uh, two weeks away, maybe three weeks away. Um, and uh, Simon Hampton uh, is a resident expert on that. So uh, we shall have uh, a good long chat about the playoff games yesterday over the weekend and what's coming up uh, this weekend. Uh, then we'll have a panel with Ben Strang and Graham Beasley. We'll talk a bit of cricket, uh, sevens, super rugby and uh, tennis with uh, those gentlemen. Uh, and then after 11 o'clock, Stephen Jennis, a former Blackstick Ford, will be in the studio. He's with us now at SCNZ. So uh, he's going to be live in the studio to talk about the Blackstick's uh, performance, particularly that terrific penalty shootout win against India uh, just uh, a day or so ago. So that was that wonderful. The sports desk will be open around about 11.25. Uh, then we'll have a stump smithy, which I do believe is worth a mere $150 today. Big cash on the offing. Let's get started. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. So lowering the tackle zone in rugby is an interesting subject, one which uh, many in and out of the game are weighing in on. On balance, most are thinking the proposed criteria are ridiculous, some suggesting whilst the head area should be freer from target as the ball carrier, the tackler's head will become more susceptible to danger from knees and boots and shins and thighs and hips. Well, that's been the case anyway though, hasn't it? since uh, the day it was invented. 50,000 people signed a petition in the UK in a matter of days to stop the proposed changes. There's clearly strong feeling against it over there. How will it shape the game? Well, it could well be an offloader's dream, a sunny build-type bonanza. More likely, though, it will be a referee, AR and TMO's nightmare, and the betting-in process could see busy sin bins if the current punishment levels are adhered to. Surely there will have to be more leniency in that direction. There are a lot of old dogs out there who won't adapt easily to these new tricks. What about the ball carriers? Will the fin to the chest, the shoulder, the head be outlawed? I mean, it's contact with the no-go zone, isn't it? And if you want to make it big in the game, you might have to go big in the thighs, the torso area yourself to bulk up bigger than even now. A game full of Artie Savias with that massive leg drive with hapless defenders clinging on like the proverbial daisy chain. When it comes to the crunch, by that I mean fully legislating these rules, will the players have a say? Will they have a viable and strong representation? I mean, they are the ones at risk here, after all. The game will change immensely, and one wonders what will be next. The All Blacks uh, 
will pick a ripper rugby team, I'm sure, for the next World Cup if this continues. Who will come up with an answer that is in the players' best interest along with the game's best interest? He will have to be a smart man and have more personality than a chair. Hey, Greg Martin. Nine oh six here on SENZ in the mornings, and great pleasure to uh, have Kempi stay on in the studio for us, so we can uh, tackle. And I say that in a verde commas a, a couple of areas <laughs> in uh, rugby and rugby league. To be fair, uh, Kempi, what, what would you make of uh, a game of rugby where you um, grown men could only tackle from the sternum down? Oh, morning, Smithy. Well, it was the, the way we got taught, wasn't it? When we played rugby as kids back here, when I was playing as a, a young uh, nipper through to first fifteen, was always to. You know, tackle below the waist and and make sure your eyes were on the leg so you could see the steppers moving and stuff like that. So, to be honest, it's a it's a step back in time. And I think maybe the people that have put this one together have gone too far backwards um, in in trying to create an athlete to go uh, back to those old days when really I asked the question is yesterday how are you how are you going to get Brody Rotella uh, to get get down low and tackle Aaron Smith mm. around the waist. It's just uh, mere on impossible. So, fifty thousand people have have, have uh, I guess uh, shown their disdain to that ruling um, around that tackle. Of course, New Zealand uh, introduced that this year at grassroots level uh, with a with a new tackle height, but around the around the and not so low, but around the safety area, and all all because of concussion. Um, look, Smithy, I think they really the people that have put these rules together haven't thought long and hard enough uh, about the repercussions. Not not just as a tackler, but um, as an attacker and as a defender. Because if you start tackling people around let's you know, around the waist, you just like Sonny Bill Williams, he comes back to market. He'll be playing until he's 46. Mm, true, good point. Um, and, and a question that's always interested me, uh, whilst this becomes such a big area in rugby and rugby union, why does league have some, uh, so much to appear from the outside to have a much more liberal stance on it? It's because it's more it's more combative and more one on one um, and confrontational across the park, you know. We got taught law, um, you know, um, early on in my career when playing league was to lift your sights when you're making the tackle because it's about slowing down to play the ball and getting you being able to get your players back on side so that they can come forward and, and win that that ground just like in the NFL. It's a a, a a real game of inches. So, you know, you start. Tackling people around the legs, um, you know the Michael Speechleys of the game back in Cronulla, the five eight, the little blonde five eight. You probably still remember him. He used to always boot lo- bootlace a player. Um, then that player just gets up and plays the ball too quickly. Defenders can't get back, and all sorts of um, havoc starts to happen, especially with the way that players play today. So uh, they'll be sitting there, the NRL, watching this space closely, saying, "Stay as far away from us as possible because we ain't going anywhere near it." Okay, interesting. It's just from the outside looking in. It's a, it's a chalk and cheese the way they're um, the way they looked at perceived. Anyway, we'll keep an eye on, on that one in particular. But what we can look forward to, uh, Kempi, is a, a season where the Warriors at least have a more even playing field in terms of home and away. 
Yeah, I think the breakers have really you know, shown us what we can do if we hit the ground running, um, forgetting about COVID and getting on with it, playing back here in New Zealand, playing a, on, a, on an even, even playing field, Smithy, like you said. And the Warriors, you know, and he's made it quite clear, uh, has, has Webster, that he doesn't want to be talking about COVID. He doesn't want to be talking about excuses. He wants everyone to be talking about how they're going to win a competition and how they're going to prepare for the competition. And I really like his style. You know, he's been up front. He hasn't shirked his duties. Uh, every time I've spoken to him, he's, he's come up afterwards. And, and I, I really rate people when they not only talk to you, but they make the time then to circle around and come back and talk to you off the record about, about what's going on. And, you know, if you look at his pedigree, um, Tamari Martin's pointed it out. He, he coached the West Tigers NYC. All right, Tamari Martin's come on the back of that, so he's got a he's got an international that rates him as a coach, and, and said that last week when he he said Webby's you know got some new tricks in the book. He's already had Warriors experience. He's been here. He's he knows the landscape. Then he's gone back and get a, got a grounding that every coach wants under the Penrith system. And now when you when you sit down and you actually analyse what he's saying in a in a press conference, you'd think that the guys had ten years experience as an NRL coach. So. Why do I like that? Well, I like that it's he's calm and collected. He's not he's not th- picking words out of the out of the sky. He's not picking cliches out. He's actually making sense when he talks. Mm. Okay, um, if we look at his uh, coaching uh, structure, the, the players, uh, the, the coaches that he's got around him, is he covered all bases? Do you think for this year? I think he could probably have a stronger uh, coaching structure. You know, Richie Agar's come over from England. Um, it's you know something new. I, I, I actually know Richie. I, his father, Alan Agar, coached me when I was playing at Castleford with John Joyner. Um, a great, great mind, great football mind. So he comes from a good pedigree, and he'll bring something different. Um, he'll bring bring new eyes to to the NRL. Uh, after having coached through Super League, Leeds, Wakefield and so forth. So um, other than that, Stacey Jones, Justin Morgan are still there. He's got some new boys in the back, back room. Uh, he's got the same type of stuff. You know, Dan's still there managing. He's got Laurie still there doing the doing the jerseys. But I think for me, when you listen to the way that Webby talks, it's more around the, um, I guess, the buy-in from the playing group. You know, so he's saying, well, we can coach you, but what I really want to see is that effort. And and Dylan Walker, having that conversation with Dylan Walker really said that. You know, when I asked him what the difference was between winning a competition itself and being go, uh, being with that manly side and they're having that good run, and he said, well, the thing that he really likes about here is that they're really um, getting on well and they, and they know what sort of um, hurdles they have to jump over this year. So... For me, the proof's going to be in the pudding. Probably in the first month, Smithy, I'll be sitting on the fence. Uh, I think he's doing some good work, Webby. I think he's getting them prepared. But there's nothing like game time. There's nothing like the first four weeks. Squad-wise, what about the pack? Some people saying he's uh, down a prop. Well, he is. He's. I think he's down. I think he's down on a bit of size. If you have a look, you know, losing um, Masala. You know Murdoch Masala and bringing back Bunty Afoa, who, if you remember, last year was 
probably asked to go out and check if there was other options there for him. There isn't a hell of a lot of size around. Tommy Ale, you know, he's back from a knee injury. Uh, he'll add some some much needed size there, but they really need to replace Masala, um, uh, Murdoch Masala, with another another big body. I just don't think they have the size in there. Josh Curran, Tohu Harris, Dylan Walker, uh, you know, all of similar build. There's nothing like a big body when you look at the top teams going around in the NRL. All the top four teams, you know, Penrith, Parramatta, Melbourne South, um, Sydney City, they got giants playing in the front row. Now, if you don't match them, uh, you're going backwards and, and their spine's coming at you at 100 miles an hour, and that's what you need to stop. How's uh, the Warriors' spine? Well, we're talking about that. If you again look at the hook, hooking um, through the spine last year, you know you you look at Curacao at Penrith, all right, um, Mahoney at Parramatta, Harry Grant at Melbourne, Darren um, Damian Cook at South Sydney, and Brandon Smith now going up to Sydney City. I think you can pick your top eight out of out of looking at the hooking stocks at the at the clubs. Now. I think that's your top five this year. The rest of them, and with our spine, I think Tamari Martin, uh, Sean Johnson, and Nickel Clockstead, a very, very good three there. Uh, on the back of it with Wade Egan, yes, a solid player at nine, but he isn't one of those five that we talked about. And I think to strengthen the side in the Warriors, we really need to get into that hooking space and try and entice a top-class, world-class hooker here. Whether whether we need to go to England, Smithy, and have a look at a couple of hookers over there, because um, we just can't seem to entice them uh, from from across the, the Tasman into, into New Zealand, uh, maybe we have to do that. Maybe we just have to go and look further afield. Do you think that kind of uh, attitude towards Australian players coming over here and making home uh, uh, Mount Smart Stadium and, and Auckland as their base as such, do you think that'll come back? Do you think this is just a temporary post-COVID thing? Because it's been an issue, hasn't it? Oh, it, it has. And, you know, I think you look. You have to look at it from an Australian's point of view. Now, most of the football's played on the coast and on, on the... Uh, eastern side of of the border, so you know you're living at Coogee, you're living up in Newcastle, Merriweather, you're living down in Wollongong on the on the beautiful coast there, you know Cronulla. So most of them are coming off a really nice lifestyle, and then you've got to come to Auckland. It's cold, it's wet, it's raining uh, majority of the year, and then you move, you're you're uplifting your families. Most most of the kids these days have got young families to to, to take them out of that lifestyle. And I think a lot of people don't understand that money alone doesn't entice them so um, the COVID thing has impacted it and I and I think one of the ways that the Warriors possibly could get more people coming over here is really building on this new culture that Andrew Webster's talking about so mm. I, I like that they've got their grades back in order so they're playing reserve grade they're playing 18s and 16s Harold Matthews SG ball and that's starting to build some good Good depth uh, of player in the in the club. Now around that, what they have to do is build the club. So put all of these teams back together. Make sure it's a one club. They've got a great name um, in the One Warriors. So if they can do that, then what you do have is you have the enticement of players going. Well, I actually want to be a part of the bigger picture. And I think that bigger picture has somewhat been dismantled um, for a number of reasons. Smithy, you know, we've had a number of CEOs, we've had a number of coaches over the year, we've had players on a revolving door, and we haven't been able to establish, a, I guess, a core uh, group of players since we had back in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. So um, can they do it? Yeah, I think they can. Can Webby do it? Oh, I'd like to think so. 
I like to think he's an up and coming coach. So uh, at this stage, he's well on side. Um, I think with the not only the public but with his team, and and looks like a good buy for the club. Well, a good coach sometimes um, you know doesn't um, have all the answers himself, and, and and to be fair, he's shown an interest in bringing people in from outside already. Andrew Webster, well, I'll give you the case of Kaikara France. Uh, who's coming to look at uh, technique in, in that respect. So uh, it, it appears he's prepared to take thoughts from even outside the game. Yeah, great signing. Kai Cutter France coming in doing wrestling, big part of the game. Um, and I think, you know, one of the biggest problems that you have when you get into those professional structures, it'd be like me telling you how to wicket keep, you know, not having any idea whatsoever of the of the amount of effort and the and the and the mentality you need to stand behind those wickets and, and get your bowlers performing at the top of the level. So I think what happens when you go into those professional environments is the blinkers come on and you think that whoever's talking to you inside your house is the only voice that you listen to. One of the one of the things I learned straight away, Smithy, as a young coach and coming out of that environment was that I had to remove my blinkers. I missed so many opportunities. Um, and you don't always get the right oh how am I going to put this sometimes the people that are actually challenging you are the, are the people that you should be listening to because it's slapping you right in the face and you don't want to listen because you've got your blinkers on your conspiracy theorist so I think um, you know the additions that he's making it's going to take him a little while to actually build his team let's not forget that he's inherited a lot of um, what he's had to put up with um, at the back end of last year and through to this two, 2023 season I just hope he has the success and we don't remain on that same roller coaster, which that revolving door for coaches is, you know, I think it's 2.2 years is the amount of time a coach gets at the Warriors if you look through the 13, 14 coaches that they've had. In terms of the defence, massive part of the game, quite a big failing area last time around. Uh, do you see the steel in that? I mean, you, you can talk about the technique and the wrestling coming into that factor and all sorts of things. What about the defence as a structure? Do you see Justin Morgan sorting that this year? Well, I hope not. You know, he's he's had his shot at the defensive coach. I hope Webby's changed that and taken, for me, the uh, I guess the head head defensive coach's role because if you don't have a solid defence, you can't win a competition. And and unfortunately for the Warriors, their defence is leaky right across the board. It was a question when me and Logs were out there last week at the press conference uh, I threw to, to all players was, are you comfortable with the defensive structure? Um, you know, you've got Tamari Martin up in the front line for the first time coming out of the Broncos. Admitting himself, he probably made four tackles last year. Now he's going to be making four tackles because people are going to send runners his way in the first five minutes. He'll make four tackles in five minutes. You know what I mean? So he's got to be comfortable being in that front line. He's in a leadership spot being three and on the sideline that he's got to have to make good calls moving up and moving sideways at the same time. So then you look around at Clockstead, he's new again at the back, he's getting that middle organised and making sure that all around, the, especially that, that what they call the good ball area for other teams when they're coming at them, that his edges are set and ready to go. Um, and Dylan Walker's going to play a big part in that, being off the bench as a utility, because one of the big problems that they had last year was when they made those changes through the middle, and especially when they took Tohu Harris off, then they struggle to keep that momentum going. And Dylan Walker, again, will play a big part in that in that defensive structure. So do I think that they, they can fix that? Yes, I do. I do think they can fix that. Um, Justin Morgan, probably not. I think Webby has to take lead in that. And uh, if they don't fix it, they won't they won't get a run to the to the to the top of the table. Not at all. Okay. 
So expectation uh, from your point of view, uh, could you can you put a position on the table? Uh, can you quantify that at this stage or not? I couldn't. I couldn't qualify it one hundred percent, Smithy. I, I think when you look at it, I don't think they're a top four spot. I think the five teams I've named beforehand still have the edge on them. I think if you're looking at them, you're looking from probably fifth to twelfth um, as a as a real shot for them. You know, uh, and and it's going to be tight again this year. Uh, to make the eight from from fifth spot, so I I really put it down to injuries for them this year. The Warriors, I don't think they, I think they got some good young kids coming through. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think they have the experience at the moment to carry them through. Um, what is going to be a torrid time through injuries? Um, already you got Jazz Tavaga not starting the season with his uh, his his injuries. You've got some some young kids in there that probably need a little bit more game time, and you've lost one of your main impact players in Murdoch Masala. So injuries. The key positions will be key to their run. And for me, at this stage, I'm saying anywhere between 5th and 12th. OK. Um, one of the great uh, initiations, I guess, uh, from uh, both our uh, side of things is uh, the now the partnership between SENZ and the Warriors, uh, which I guess uh, will be beneficial to us in particular with access and that sort of thing and more in-depth uh, kind of things. Is that the case, do you think? hundred percent. I think I think Cam George is really open to, um, you know, as we saw yesterday when he came on with Beaven and Kirst, uh, getting in and and really uh, promoting his club. You know, and that's what a CEO should be doing. He should be promoting them, whether it's the 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 the, the good stuff or the bad stuff. You remember last year they were they weren't running to to crash hot, and Cam George decided to come in here and sit in here with a, with us for an hour and talk about all that sort of stuff. I don't think he's ever been afraid of fronting the good and the bad stuff. Um, what I would really hope that this relationship gives us is access. Now, access to the right people when we want to talk to them. And you've got to, you've got to think, too, on SENZ, we've got some pretty astute sporting minds here that can actually ask the right questions. And if you look at yourself, um, myself and Izzy, you've got Kirst that does interviews, you know, like there's no tomorrow with Beave there, who's, who's, a, who's got a very smart head, and Staffy just loves the odds. Um, I think that the relationship with SENZ could actually be something that the Warriors are, are, are going to um, really capitalise on, because our, our our listeners, and I know you know this, Smithy, love rugby league. You know, if it's mm. not the All Blacks, it's rugby league. You know, so covering rugby, cricket, rugby league, and netball, the four big sports in this country on this radio station, getting the Warriors on board and being their number one um, go to is all about access. And I think we're going to get that from uh, the Warriors this year. Well, you're the captain of our team, Kempi, so uh, long may that uh, be the case, and uh, we thank you very much for hanging around for an extra 20 minutes or so this morning and giving us uh, a personal insight on just where we're at and uh, where you f- what direction we got, might go in, particularly early in the season. Can't wait. 37 days, I count, um, and uh, I think that first game's in Wellington, isn't that correct? That's that's correct, yep. Because of uh, it was pointed out this morning from uh, from the, the Phoenix uh, general manager, um, Mr Dome, that uh, you know it's concert time, Smithy. They're taking up all our stadia, and maybe we should bring the maybe we should bring that conversation about putting it down on the waterfront, eh? Just a, a dead set sport arena. Well, I guess too the other thing that'll come in because we're now partners is uh, you'll be going to a lot more of those away games, Kempi. We have to finger on the pulse. Oh, yeah, let's hope so. I'll have to talk to Rubes about that one. <laughs> okay, I'll have a chat to Hutchie for you as well. Okay, mate, uh, all the best, uh, Kempi. Thanks very much for for sticking around. Any, uh, any cheers, time, man. Speak. Appreciate it. Cheers. Uh, Nine twenty-five here on SENZ.
podcasts to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, it's an uh, EPL game on this morning. We'll keep you updated with that after 12 minutes. Uh, it's a London derby between Fulham and Tottenham. It's nil all. Nil all at uh, Craven Cottage. I believe they're playing that game this morning, so we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, also, we invite you to call now, actually, on 0800 150 811. 0800 150 I'd love to uh, hear from people like Jeff the Ref uh, on this uh, tackle, new tackle legislation that uh, is being proposed to go down to the sternum and at junior level uh, to be below the waist or waist and below. Uh, I really would love to hear your, your point of view on that. Uh, Jeff, if you're listening uh, from a referee's perspective and also from uh, rugby fans, that would be terrific. So 0800 150 811. And we'll be back very shortly with the news uh, now with the Arawa, that's cool. Um, as you say, Zane, and, and <clears throat> there'll still be question marks. I mean, uh, it was such a miserable time at times last year. The, the thing that worried me most when, when I listened to comments uh, from even the likes of Stacey Jones, the interim head coach, was that the players don't want to be out there. You know, those were the concerning remarks as, as opposed to the fact that we just weren't good enough. It was an attitudinal thing. I, I hope that they've well, been able to address that. I think they have, mate, because you'll find that there was a culture driven by those guys who signed with the Warriors knowing they needed a short-term fix and they were happy to stay in Australia but never ever planned to come to New Zealand. And as soon as that happened... You know, you had four or five guys who just wanted to get out. And once you make the decision to leave an organisation, you'd know yourself probably with that um, decision you made about Sky. It's very hard to contribute with the same level of passion once you know that the, the door is not that far away and as much as you love the place. Mm. So hopefully that's no, um, been reset now. We're all back in New Zealand. So anyway... Fair point, mate. Fair point, and some excellent points raised there. And I really enjoy talking to you, mate. And uh, play well this afternoon, eh? Go and stretch your legs. So Zane there from uh, Parapara Umu with uh, his thoughts there. Um, a number of texts uh, have started to come in about it. Hi, uh, um, from Mikey. Read the Warriors. I'm still not convinced uh, through painful history and their policy of in and out of the door coaches. But I wish Andrew Webster all the best. He's going to need it. Uh, yeah, that should be about the team only. I hope Cameron George is allowed to concern himself with that rather than the distraction of the owner of the Warriors bulldozing in with his views like he did last year. He's uh, hoping their most important asset, their amazing fans, get some joy this year. That's uh, Mikey G. Thanks, Mikey. Uh, on the refereeing side of things, uh, Richard has come in and said, as a current referee and a former player, I'm not sure if I'm going to ref this year with the way our PC rugby rules are headed. For example, how does a player tackle the ball carrier near the goal line? No good around the ankles then, is it? Absolutely it's not, because all he does is just reach out. You've got to be able to target the ball, surely. And in, in, in all the tackle situations, you must be able to target the ball, because that's the thing you want. You want the, you want the ball yourself, and you want them not to be able to use the ball. So uh, I can just see, uh, and Sonny Bill Williams making a point uh, on social media, it could actually be just an offloader's dream. Uh, ben Stokes, the uh, English cricket captain, I was uh, reading an article this morning where he said his dad actually uh, Jared, uh, gave up the game because of a concussion, because of a, a knee to the head in a tackle situation. Uh, he makes a good point when he says there's going to be a lot more of those with the total focus on tackling around that area. Big, strong guys, you know, who spend hours and hours and hours in the gym, absolutely building up their quads and those calf areas and that sort of thing. Um, <coughs> I won't say they're going to be unstoppable, but when you meet that kind of force, 
at that level with your head or your shoulder, um, look out, look out. Um, and, you know, it's, it's going to be quite dangerous. 9.40 here on SENZ. We'll be back shortly. Winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, Novak Djokovic is still making a, a lot of noise uh, in this uh, Australian Open. In fact, if you look at the betting, he's uh, down to $1.36 to be the overall champion this time around. Seeds dropping off left, right and centre has helped his cause, but uh, last night he was uh, in emphatic form. We are a juice. As Djokovic will take this on the back end. Up the line. Long. So Demonor holds. Down the middle for an ace. Hello. And that's an incredible serve. And you think about it, you're 6'2", 6'1", 5'2", love 15. Yep. Second serve, you have no reason to serve that ball. Firmly no. fixed on the task. Novak Djokovic up the tee. He goes again. He's in behind. Trying to pass here, Alex. There's the closing backhand volley from Djokovic. It's all over Alex Dimonor, and he's got two match points. He'll go the out wide serve. Forehand is long over the baseline by Demonor. It's been a procession tonight. Novak Djokovic still alive in his quest for a 10th Australian Open. He's shown the tennis world that he mightn't have the number one ranking, but many regard him still right now as the best player in the world. Yes, well, 6-2, Text coming in. Smithy, Novak faking this injury is making players play a game that does not suit them. Very clever gamesmanship by Novak. He was a master last night. Hopefully done. Uh, I've be, uh, hopefully we'll beat him and take the smile away from him. Uh, I'm not sure anyone's going to beat him uh, in the form that he's in. Uh, maybe Tommy Paul, uh, if he comes up against him, the American who uh, eliminated uh, Batista Agu last night. Of course, uh, Batista Agu... Uh, he accounted for Andy Murray and ended that great run. Rublev, uh, we heard from Brett Phillips uh, yesterday, who uh, Brett Phillips, who was uh, calling from uh, SCN. Uh, he was saying he's really looking to the performance of Rublev. Well, it was a great five-setter against Rune, um, winning in the end 6-3, in that final tiebreaker, an absolute classic there. Uh, Battle of the Americans, Shelton beating Wolf in uh, five sets as well, so... Uh, it's starting to shape up uh, pretty well on that side of things. Um, and uh, Pliskova, 6-love, six 6-4 six over Zhang. Lynette uh, over Garcia. Now Garcia uh, in the women's side of things was uh, seeded number four and highly, highly um, expected to go f- further in this tournament. Gone. Vekic, uh, Frufatova uh, accounted for Vekic, uh, accounted for her. Sabalenka beating Bensik. Bensik was another name that was mentioned yesterday. Uh, gone. And uh, Azarenka, uh, look, 24th seed, but a highly experienced, vastly experienced uh, tennis player. Um, Azarenka could be a real factor. Uh, Three-set win over Zhu from China. So that's the way it's uh, starting to uh, shape up in the Australian Open. Uh, we'll be back uh, shortly. We'll have a multi for you and some other stuff leading into the 10 o'clock news. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today.
Buffalo Bills uh, got beaten yesterday, so that was no good at all. The Cincinnati Bengals uh, knocked them over, so uh, that was the end of that multi. I think uh, Canterbury, Wellington, and the cricket as well. Um, and uh, well, we could get up with the 49ers over uh, last night uh, over the Cowboys, but uh, to no avail, that was gone. So today we're going to go uh, a couple of games of tennis out of the Australian Open. Quarter to beat Kashinov. Uh, quarter, of course, from the very famous uh, Quarter family. Uh, Dad, a terrific tennis player, and sisters, magnificent golfers. So Quarter to beat Kashinov at a dollar seventy-eight. Uh, Rybakina to beat Ostapenko. Uh, one of the uh, women's matches later on in the evening. It's a dollar forty-four, and I've got a, a feeling that India will mop us up and um, make it three-nil uh, in the cricket uh, in the uh, one-day international series leading into the T20. So I think India will probably account for us again at a buck thirty-three. So uh, multi that all up together, and that's uh, three dollars forty. Three dollars forty. Might head across uh, to the sports desk now, where uh, Logan Swinkles uh, awaits us. Um, and uh, of course we just touched on the Djokovic um, performance over Alex de Menor who was uh, Australia's last real hope there uh, very impressive yeah it was I, I don't understand this conspiracy around Novak faking an injury I know there's a lot of disdain towards him especially after all the events of last year the deportation out of Australia all the anti-vax sentiments etc but Novak has won nine times at Australia. He's potentially on his way to his 10th. And I know he comes across these days as, I don't know, bit of a <laughs> bit of a loose unit. But, I mean, you can't really go past his genius on the court. I mean, you know, I've seen the likes of him and Nadal play in person. You just kind of get blown away by how good they are. I mean, there is the next level coming through, and that's really exciting. Uh, but you just honestly, like I say, Smithy, you can't go past Novak. I mean, if he doesn't win this Australian Open, I'll be really surprised, to be honest. I think so now, too. Uh, I think um, he's one of the players that are left <clears throat> um, in terms of uh, knowing how to play at this end of the tournament. Um, and whether he's carrying a small niggle or not, I, I start to think that it's uh, come right now because uh, the way he's accounting for people, is, it's ruthless. It's absolutely ruthless. So. Uh, I, I look to Djokovic, uh, Novak Djokovic, to um, perhaps uh, be the champion. And a dollar thirty-six, those odds aren't going to increase at any stage. So, if you want to be in and put him as part of your multi, that would be interesting. Um, to Mighty Martin, we talked to Kempi a little bit earlier. To Mighty Martin, um, on the spine for the Warriors. Yeah. So as Kempi alluded to uh, in his chat with you earlier, uh, we went along to Warriors training last week. Tamari Martin is one of the guys we talked to, along with Dylan Walker uh, and Charles Nickel Clockstad. The the full video that we did with Tamari has just gone up on the uh, SCNZ YouTube page, so go check that out because uh, Kempi gets some good stuff out of these guys. I, you know, I think he's a little bit, un he probably underrates himself a little bit to be fair, but one of the things that we did ask Tamari about was the quality of the spine with him coming from the Broncos to the Warriors and what things look like now. A lot of talk around the spine, you and Shawnee and the combination, how that's going to work. You've got Chance back there at fullback. Um, of course, Wade will probably start at nine. How's the spine looking? And are you, I guess, excited that it can take us further up the ladder? Yep, I am excited for that. And um, it's looking good. Chance has only been back for the last week or two, you know, World Cup duties. But... Um, he brings a strong running game and obviously you've seen how he does it and, and Shawnee's got still got all the tricks in the bag bro he still 
have enough stuff at training. It's just trying to um, put that into game game scenarios, and and that's where Webby comes in well, bro. Putting our our shapes in and, and making sure that what you're doing is what you're good at. So um, we're soon going to find out how that works, and um, we're sort of just getting to 13 on 13 stuff now, which is which is exciting, and um, you can only get better from here. And I think yeah, I think Wade Ingen is probably um, a little bit underrated and for most people you know he doesn't get talked about much but the stuff he does at training and, and the kind of um, deception he has is it's pretty r- unreal man I played with some good hookers and, and the way he passes and can hold up defenders I th- think it's really underrated eh? See Smithy I really like the way Tamati is talking about his teammates there it just to me it sounds like and I've seen it a little bit in person that they're really building on something here I'm not going to throw out that this is our year tagline because it's so overused and you don't really want to set that up for uh, disappointment again, do we? Uh, but the spine could be really good this year, and I know there are questions around what they do in terms of another prop. There definitely needs to be more size. I agree with Kempi on that front. Uh, but I would potentially look to Jazz Tavanga to play more on a prop role rather than a hooking role this season. Okay, interesting. Um, really interesting indeed. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, just news to you through this morning. From the news desk that uh, Sophie Devine has made the World T2011 for 2022 and Glenn Phillips also. So we've got a representative uh, in both the men's and women's T20 teams of the year. Glenn Phillips outstanding in the World Cup. Uh, He's in there. Uh, And Sophie Devine, of course, uh, at the top of the order. So we'll be uh, back very shortly. We'll have some news with Araha and then we'll uh, touch on some NFL. Getting very, very interesting now. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, the NFL playoffs are now down to just four teams after a thrilling round of divisional games. Uh, We saw the 49ers beat the Cowboys. Uh, That was the last of the games yesterday, earlier. Uh, The Bengals disrupted the Bills by uh, winning 27-10. The Chiefs, uh, the day before, had uh, beaten the Jaguars uh, 27-20 in a very close one. Uh, And, of course, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles uh, have kept their dream alive by crushing the New York Giants 38-7 by far. The most convincing result over the weekend. Uh, with us now is the host of Third and Five podcast, the Kiwi loving life in uh, Brooklyn, particularly at this time of the year. Uh, can we say good morning to uh, Simon Hampton, New Zealand time? Uh, Simon, welcome into the show again. Yeah, good afternoon from uh, New York, uh, from Brooklyn. Um, good to good to be on with you, Smitty. Yeah, right. Let's uh, uh, look, uh, Simon, if we can, at those uh, matches that have uh, just been completed um, and uh, Dallas Cowboys uh, they might be in the market for a new kicker by the look of it, Brett Maher after missing four of the five extra point attempts uh, the previous week his first uh, one yesterday was blocked as well in the end it could have been a factor could have been yeah and um, you know these kickers on these NFL teams they have one job and that's to kick it over from pretty much right in front of the goalpost and anyone who's watched rugby would uh know how straightforward that usually is but yeah he missed four out of five uh usually in nfl that would result in the kicker being uh 
kicked off the team, uh, so to speak. So they start with Brett Mayer. Uh, there are a lot of eyes on on him when he went up for his first kick and then the, the 49ers managed to block the attempt. It looked like the attempt was going wide anyway. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the 49ers won that game 19-12 in the end and, and that extra point didn't matter. But uh, I think they might be in the market for a new kicker going into next season. On the other side of the ledger, of course, you look at the 49ers kicker, and it's not often you talk about the kicker unless it's a last-minute field goal, etc. But Robbie Gould has been fantastic for them. Um, his season is outstanding, and four field goals yesterday. Yeah, and, you know, just another part of this 49ers team that, that looks really, really good. Um, Robbie Gould, you know, the kicker doing, doing everything right from his uh, perspective, but for me, the star of this team is, is Brock Purdy. He was a third-string quarterback. He was picked last in the NFL draft when he was drafted, last drafted player. Uh, wasn't really on the radar. No one really knew who he was going into this season because the 49ers, of course, had Trey Lance, who was their their uh, young quarterback who they they said that was going to be the starting quarterback this year. He broke his leg early on uh, in the season, ended his season. They went to the steady hand, the veteran Jimmy Garoppolo, who's, who's taken them uh, deep before. He was good for most of the season, but he went, went injured. And then this guy, Brock Purdy's come in for the 49ers. And the 49ers haven't really slowed down with Purdy. He's he's looked very uh, steady. He, he hasn't looked like a nervous rookie third-string quarterback at all. And he's continued to lead this 49ers team uh, towards another shot at the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, when, when you stack up all their offensive options, they've got George Kittle, the tight end there. They've got Christian McCaffrey, one of the best running backs in the NFL, where they brought over mid-season from Carolina, Debo Samuel, uh, Brandon Ayuk, and then a very good defense as well. This 49ers team is is really looking like a, a team to watch out for. And, and, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about the Eagles at some point, but, you know, that, that's going to make for a tasty uh, tasty matchup this weekend. So another missed season for the Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys, of course, under uh, owner Jerry Jones, who uh, apparently has just just stated that uh, Mike McCarthy, as head coach, is uh, safe in his job. Yeah, that's a little bit of a surprise. I mean, this this Cowboys team did, you know, look like they 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 were good enough. They've got a, a, a strong defense led by like, led by Mika Parsons. I think they were they were unlucky yesterday when when Tony Pollard, their star running back, went off injured. He's he's got a high ankle sprain, so. Uh, he should be back for next season, uh, although I think he is actually eligible for free agency. So, some big decisions for for the for the Cowboys going into next season. They they have high standards, of course. Jerry Jones, the owner you mentioned, uh, wants to take this team to Super Bowls, and um, you know I think they would look at this and, and think they were probably good enough to go there. I think that the Forty Niners and Eagles are certainly slightly more fancy, but but I think the Cowboys were good enough. And uh, interesting that they are sticking with McCarthy because I, I think there was a lot of chatter that they might part ways with him but uh, look they'll, they'll be back again Dak Prescott will be back leading the way at, at quarterback and um, they'll, they'll have to find ways to improve because you know teams like the Eagles in their division and, and even the Giants aren't going anywhere so uh, it's going to be another tough year ahead for them next year. Well the Buffalo Bills uh, I think were favourites going into yesterday's clash with uh, the Cincinnati Bengals in driving snow it has to be said uh, the appearance also at the ground in the dressing room of DeMar Hamlin uh, would have uh, lifted their spirits, but uh, it wasn't enough. Joe Burrow did a job on them. Yeah, Joe Burrow just looked absolutely fantastic. I mean, this Bills defense is is uh, is one of the better ones in the league. Of course, they don't have Von Miller, who was you know their star defensive uh, free agent that they brought in last uh, last summer. He's he's out injured at the moment, but still, the Bills defense is very strong, and, and Joe. 
Burrow, of course, going into Buffalo when, when the crowd knows that DeMar Hamlin's there, as you say, uh, they're playing in these awful snowy conditions that the Bills are very much used to. Uh, the Bengals, obviously, playing in Cincinnati aren't too uh, you know, afraid of, of cold conditions either themselves. But still, for Joe Burrow to go in there and, and he, you know, the offense just looks so easy for him. And for him, he's got an O-line in front of him that is not one of the better ones in the league. Uh, I think it ranks in the bottom half. And for him to just make it look as easy as he did, uh, he was linking up brilliantly with uh, Jamar Chase, his star wide receiver. Um, who, who picked up a touchdown? Joe Mixon had you know over 100 yards rushing. The, the the Bengals offense just looked really good, and the Bills just couldn't get anything going. It was a really disappointing uh, result for them, and and kind of a disappointing few games for the Bills because they they had their their first round match was against the Dolphins, who were running out their third string quarterback Skylar Thompson. They almost lost that game, which which would have been a disaster for them. And then they've come into this game against the Bengals and and been well and truly beaten by Cincinnati, and so. It's pretty disappointing for a Bills team that, that came into the season built to win a Super Bowl. And, and last year, they went very close to doing that. They, of course, had that thrilling game against the Chiefs uh, in the, the conference championship. But now they kind of look further away from a Super Bowl than they did a year ago, which is really concerning. So uh, big offseason ahead for Buffalo, I think. Interesting uh, matchup between uh, the Eagles and the Giants. The uh, Giants couldn't get to the level that they were the previous week and convincingly beaten 38-7. So uh, the Eagles in that uh, championship game coming up, uh, that'll be against uh, the 49ers. But uh, the Eagles have had a hell of a season, and uh, their playoff form might just be as good as their normal season form. Yeah, there are a few question marks going into the playoffs um, for the Eagles, particularly with with Jalen Hurts, their quarterback, potentially a little bit banged up. uh, But... Yeah, I mean, what a statement win for them. They they had a week off last season, last week, sorry, as the, as the top seed, uh, and they just came out um, and, and just completely dominated the Giants, really. The Giants never really got a look in. Um, I think it was, yeah, 28-0 at halftime, so, so the Eagles didn't really have to do much in the second half. They could sort of take the foot off the gas, uh, but the Giants just never fired a shot. Um, and, and, and this Giants team is not really built falling far behind and, and having to chase the game and throw the ball a lot. They, they rely a lot on Saquon Barkley, the running back, um, to, to get a lot of their yardage. And, and so when they're forced to throw the ball a lot with Daniel Jones um, and try and chase the game, they, they do struggle a bit. And, and you know, it, it became apparent pretty quickly that once the Eagles were, were two or three touchdowns ahead, that the Giants just weren't getting back into that game. But you know, overall for the Giants, you'd say it's a pretty promising season. They, you know, weren't expected to, to have a winning record, let alone um, go to the second round of the playoffs. So uh, a successful season for them to build off um, under their new head coach, Brian Dable, and, uh, and and they'll help to build off that again next season. Right. Uh, for Andy Reid and uh, the Chiefs, uh, they were uh, hot favourites uh, with uh, Mahomes, of course, at quarterback uh, to to easily account for Jacksonville, but uh, to be fair, Jacksonville gave it everything, which is a, a pretty good sign going forward for them with their young quarterback. I think there's there's tons to be excited about if you're a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. Trevor Lawrence, the young quarterback, he, he's really had a coming of age season. I think um, he, he's you know shown that he can win tough games. You look last week when they were 27 nil down against the Chargers in a playoff game and, and came back to win that one 31 30, and now he's pushed the Chiefs close in Kansas City, which is one of the toughest places to go, particularly in the playoffs. So a very promising season for them. They'll have Kelvin Ridley, who they acquired mid-season but was under suspension, uh, the wide receiver. He'll be available for the next year, so they'll have another off- offensive weapon for, for uh, Trevor Lawrence. They'll you know, 
restock in the draft. And, and, and I think they'll be an attractive place for free agents to go as well, given the promise they've shown and, and the fact that, that Lawrence has kind of shown that, that he can be the guy and that he can lead this team. So uh, I think this is, you know, the window of contention kind of opening for, for Jacksonville um, and, and they'll have a big few years ahead. But for Kansas City, I think, um, you know, it's, it, was a, it was a solid performance for them. But of course, the big story is, is the high ankle sprain that Patrick Mahomes suffered. He uh, looked like he went off, I think it was in the second quarter, came back on in the second half. He kind of looked largely okay when he was on the field, but he was limping a lot uh, when he was on the sidelines. And so uh, the expectation is that he's going to try and play uh, in the championship game against the Bengals this weekend. And, and, and they really need him given the performance the Bengals put in. But um, obviously a high ankle sprain is often, you know, a number of weeks on the sidelines. So, uh, it's going to be interesting to follow the fitness of, of their star quarterback there. Well, you look at uh, Lawrence, you look at Burrow, you look at Allen, you look at Mahomes. Um, the average age of the quarterbacks uh, leading into the playoffs, probably the youngest it's ever been, or in recent years anyway, without Brady or, or a Rodgers, etc., or a, a Roethlisberger. Um, so, so are we now officially seeing the, the changing of the guard here uh, in terms of uh, that key role? And what now for Brady and Rodgers do you perceive? Well, that's going to be the big story of the offseason, I think, is, is the, the quarterback market. Because by all accounts, it sounds like Brady will leave the Bucks, but he will keep playing. And so there's talk of him going to the Raiders, potentially. There's talk of him going to the 49ers, possibly even going to the New York Jets, who are a big rival of his uh, New England Patriots back in the day. So, um, yeah, the, you know, the... I think it is the, the changing of the guard a bit. We're getting guys like Lawrence and even guys like Justin Herbert on the charges are, are, are very promising young quarterbacks. There's a couple of young guys in the draft coming through, but um, it sounds like Brady's going to come back for an age 46 season. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he goes because the the Tampa Bay's roster was, was not the strongest this year. It wasn't the same quality uh, as the one that won a Super Bowl a few years ago. Um, and so potentially he, he'll be pretty fired up, I think, to go to a team with, with a slightly uh, a roster that's slightly more built to win uh, immediately than, than this Bucks one was, which was a bit banged up. Um, but as for Rodgers, I, I think, you know, he's got, I think it's 50 million he's owed for next season, so it doesn't sound like he's going to retire. Uh, the Packers just don't look good enough to, to compete at all uh, with him at the helm or, you know, with the, the weapons that they've got on that roster. So it'll be interesting to see if he tries to force a trade away from Green Bay and then, you know, I'm sure a number of teams will still take a season of Aaron Rodgers. So uh, I think it's the changing of the guard, but I think the uh, the old guard is is not going away just yet. They're, they're going to be back for one last crack next year, maybe. Simon, I, I just wonder, before we let you go, uh, we can't uh, say goodbye without uh, tipping a couple for us this week, uh, without going too in-depth about it. Um, how do you perceive these two conference finals going? Well, uh, tough. I mean, I think we'll start with the Bengals Chiefs. For, for me, it's keep an eye on Patrick Mahomes. If he's in doubt, it's, it's the Bengals uh, all day of the week. I think it's. I think I'm probably leaning the Bengals anyway, um, just because I think if, if Mahomes plays, he's probably going to be a little bit injured and, and not as not at full strength. So, and, and I was just so impressed by the way the Bengals uh, dispatched the Bills on the weekend that um, I think they are the favourites, even though that game is in Kansas City. So. Uh, leaning the Bengals slightly. Um, <laughs> wouldn't be putting my house on it, though, uh, and certainly wouldn't be ruling out Patrick Mahomes, um, you know, winning that game. 49ers-Eagles, I think, is just a very, very tough game to call. Uh, you know, I, I think a week ago I would have said the 49ers are probably the better team there. 
Um, the way the Eagles just dispatched the Giants sort of, you know, makes me a, <laughs> makes it a little bit harder to predict. I think I'm still going the 49ers, though. I just think they've got threats all over the board. Uh, they're very well coached, and, and, and they've got a, a very strong defense. Not that the Eagles don't, but I, I just think the, the 49ers are, are just built, um, you know, very well, very uh, dynamic all across the board, and, and I think they'll get that done in a close one. Always a pleasure catching up with you, mate, and uh, listening to your in-depth knowledge uh, across the board there. A very, very exciting time uh, ahead in the next fortnight or so with um, the NFL as we head towards that Super Bowl appointment. Simon Hampton, as always, thanks for your time. Thanks, Millie. Cheers. Cheers, uh, Simon Hampton there out of uh, Brooklyn, New York, living the dream over there, and, uh, of course, one of his uh, dreams and passions is the NFL, as we've just heard. It's uh, 10.17 here in uh, New Zealand, which means it's panel time coming up next. Sports Freak, uh, associated uh, with that, of course, and, and Ben String, uh, of course, uh, RNZ, SENZ cricket commentator, both very keen on uh, our major summer sport, which um, leads me to begin with uh, you, Graham, this morning, if I can. I led to believe you went to uh, some Super Smash cricket at the Basin Reserve, uh, game won by Canterbury by five wickets in the end. What was the atmosphere like? Good morning, all. Um, I thought it was really good, actually. It was a crowd of around 2,500. Um, and they were there pretty much for both games. Uh, it probably increased a little bit for the, for the men's game. Um, just a really good atmosphere. And obviously, we're all excited about the Blaze. We're looking at those two new players that came out from Queensland um, to replace the White Ferns. A bit scared that that long streak might come to an end. But um, looks like we've signed a couple of goodies there. Um, and then the... Men's game went down to the last over um, with a couple of really good innings from Blundell and Fletcher. Um, yeah, they had uh, um, the whole day had a lot going for it. So, Graham, why why is the interest perceived as uh, diminishing a wee bit? I mean, uh, anniversary day, say three to four years ago, probably closer to five thousand, six thousand people, maybe. What what is the difference now, and and what does New Zealand cricket, perhaps in your mind, have to do to get people back to Super Smash cricket? Um, well, first of all, I'd like to ask the editor of the New Zealand Herald why during this whole campaign there's only been, they've only run one story on their printed version um, of the newspaper, and that was the Will Young Five Sixes. So over all these matches, they have basically ignored Super Smash. So I find that one a bit curious. I don't know if there's what, what editorial decisions behind that, but I think there still is a lot of interest. Um, Possibly the tournament does drag on a little bit. Maybe that's something New Zealand cricket should do, is to look at if they can um, shorten it by a week somehow. Um, but, but that's just tinkering around the edges. I genuinely believe that there is still the interest in it. Um, and, and also possibly not helped this year by, by the fact that the Black Caps are away for the duration of it. Um, although that's, that's not uncommon um, for that to happen. So yeah, I, I do think the interest is there. And I certainly don't think we should be looking to insert teams into the Big Bash League. What about, uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm in favour of that too. I, I don't th- think there's any, any teeth to that whatsoever, uh, that concept. Ben Strang, good morning to you. Uh, ben, your impressions of uh, Super Smash? Kia ora. Uh, well, firstly, um, on that Big Bash thing, I think the Super Smash is just actually a, a very, very good 2020 product and has helped create a lot of... Black Caps and White Ferns players who have 
competed very well at international level. So I think that sort of puts that argument to bed. I, I don't understand that one. Um, but in terms of the the crowds and that sort of thing, I don't think they're too bad given the times we're living in at the moment. I think, you know, a few years ago when you did get sort of 5,000 crowds to, to the basin to watch some of these games over summer, uh, people weren't worried about, uh, you know, what was in their wallet and that sort of thing. There, there weren't the same sort of pressures. So I think some real life stuff is probably paying a, playing a part rather than it not being a good product or, or they're not being the players to go and watch. It, it doesn't help the, black, um, the the Firebirds, for instance, that they do have, you know, so many players in the in the New Zealand side and, and it's not quite a, a star-studded team. But I just think that a lot of people, even though it's not the most expensive thing to go to, if they're figuring out what we're going to cut back on costs, it's probably going to watch a 2020 game at the Basin. So is is it the right window then, uh, Graham? Is there a possibility? Now, you know, if you look around the world, uh, there are currently four um, T20 leagues going on, four, two new ones introduced this year in Dubai and South Africa. Uh, do we have to find another window to perhaps, I mean, I, I would kind of uh, look at um, a little bit after the BBL, which means some of the players that have come down or introduced in the BBL uh, and Australian players as well, could just follow on and play a, maybe in a bridge competition over here. Is is there any merit in that? Possibly. If, if you're going to do that, you would want incoming test series around the current Super Smash window, you know, the, the Christmas, January sort of thing. Um, because I think that, that should still drive how um, how the season looks. So I don't know how difficult it would be to get test sides out here at this stage. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, at that stage. Um, given that Australia and South Africa are always hosting tests around uh, Christmas and the New Year, etc., it might be a bit harder. Um, so I, I, I still think that finding the best windows for, for test cricketers should should be the, the driver of the season, and historically that's been February, March. Well, of course, with the RPL starting earlier, um, that also makes it a bit tougher as well. I mean, the, the RPL basically starts in the middle of March now, so that would make a, um, a T20 competition in February, March um, harder as well. Right, uh, let's uh, look at uh, some uh, Sevens rugby if we can, uh, gentlemen. Uh, Peyton Spencer, son of Carlos, has been drafted in straight away, basically. It was about uh, a week ago we learnt that he had signed to the Sevens programme and now they're going to use him uh, straight away by the look of things in Sydney. So that's a very quick elevation, but uh, the kid seems to be very talented. So, uh, Ben, that's an interesting one. Yeah, it's fascinating to see how he'll go. Uh, just the, the very name makes it extremely exciting. If he's got, you know, even half of the talent that his dad had, that would be um, <clears throat> very, very exciting to watch. But, um, you know, New Zealand has, has had success by drafting in people essentially straight out of school in the past and, and, and they bring some excitement and, and some flair and, and, you know, something different to the team. So I think it'll be very interesting to see how he goes and, and if New Zealand can can repeat and make it all the way to the final and and we see some some more good performances from these players that would be brilliant yeah it's um quite disappointing to say goodbye to the hamilton side of things particularly on a, a, a relatively successful note but um i, I just wonder uh, uh, this is an interesting for me i I didn't realise they were signing players so young into the Sevens program. I think three out of school, basically, uh, this time around, Graham. Yeah, it is um, an interesting change of tack, really, isn't it? 
Um, and I'm also interested to see how the um, how they're going to tackle the women's seven side of things. You know, especially now with um, with the Super Rugby competition starting up, and there's a whole lot of talk about where the players like Ruby Tui, where where are they going to focus? Um, obviously, the sevens is an Olympic sport, so there'd be the the lure of um, of going to the Olympics, or just just sort of how how they balance uh, progressing women's seven sevens rugby versus fifteens, which which is an issue they've had with the men's game for years. Um, so and also, so is, is someone like Young Spencer? Is he going to be pigeonholed as a sevens players, or NPC teams going to be looking at picking him up? Um, it's it's quite a fascinating balancing act that one. It is actually. Um, uh, I look forward to watching him. Actually, uh, I've seen him play live uh, first fifteen rugby, but uh, uh, this is a whole new um, ball game, uh, literally, and uh, against a, a stronger a- athlete too, stronger build of athlete. It'll be interesting to see how he goes. Ten thirty-one here on SENZ. We'll take a short break for some news and be back with uh, Graham Beasley and Ben Strang very shortly. Big talk, big opinions. The panel. Ben Strang and Graham Beasley with us this morning. And Graham, uh, I'm really looking forward to the two test matches uh, against England. Brendan McCullum's England side, captain, of course, by Ben Stokes. Um, just uh, for no other reason, really. I mean, they, they mopped us up 3-0 over in England just to see what style of pl- cricket New Zealand play this time around because uh, I'm not sure that uh, Brendan McCullum and his lads are going to sit back. Uh, what are you expecting? Um, I'm expecting contrast of styles, actually. I mean, I don't think just because England are playing it that way, that we should look to, to emulate that um, if, it, if it doesn't really suit our game. Um, you know, we, we didn't win the World Test Championship by playing in that way, so I think we should just keep on doing what we have been doing um, and play a more sort of cautious game, but then putting the foot on the throat if we get into um, a position of advantage. But I'm, I'm just really looking forward to it. There was talk yesterday at the basin that the, um, <coughs> the ground had sold out on the Saturday, Apparently that's not quite true, but but there aren't many left, and there aren't many left of a Sunday either of the Test match here. So um, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I don't think Trent Bolt should play. I think um, you know if he's just going to arrive from one of these leagues um, at the start of the series, I think um, if if he's made the choice to not commit to New Zealand, I think that we that we need to look at other bowlers, um, and hopefully Carl Cole Jamison could be back in the form. Yep. Uh, how about the World Cup for Trent Bolt? Um, later in the year in India. That is the one it. exception I would make. Yeah, that's, that's the okay. one exception I would make because there, there won't be any T20 cricket on around or even just before that. Um, so I think for an ICC tournament like that, if he's in good enough form, then I think they should pick him for that one. Rightio, Ben, what's uh, your theory on the, the style of cricket we should play? And uh, maybe you could weigh in too on uh, where you sit with Trent Bolt and future use of him by New Zealand cricket. Yeah, with Trent Bolt, I mean... I think that New Zealand cricket should probably just assess his fitness, see if they think he is actually capable of playing a, uh, in a test match after playing in 2020 leagues and then make a decision from there. Although I completely understand that, you know, do they want to set a precedent where um, players can just rip up their New Zealand cricket contract and yet still just come in and play whenever they want? That's a very difficult decision to have. But Trent Bold is a pretty exceptional talent, so I'd be probably making a few... Uh, you know, concessions to to him uh, to get him into the team. But in regards to the style of play, I agree with Graham that I don't think much will change. I think that that there does need to be uh, some change in the way that New Zealand plays. It would be good to see them play with more aggression and positivity. I thought some of the 
uh, captaincy and, and some of the, the batting was quite negative uh, over in Pakistan and, and, and they could have taken the game to uh, Pakistan a bit more over there. So I'd like to see a bit more positivity. Uh, that's just in, in the scoring rates. That's even the, the bowling rates. Like bowling so slowly in Pakistan makes no sense when you need to earn time back in the game. That, that sort of thing was infuriating. Uh, but I'd like to see if they were going to make a change. I think we we need to see Glenn Phillips in the in the team and see what he can do as a Test player. I think um, that's the that's the kind of short term move that I think New Zealand cricket could make and see if um, see if he has a a future as a Test player. That would be very interesting. And preference for what, like a Henry Nichols? <laughs> Probably, yeah. I think he's um, he's struggled a bit lately, Henry. And uh, although you know he. When under pressure, he seems to have um, bounced back and performed. But his average has dropped from above 40 to, what is it now, 37 or something. So his last couple of years have not been flash. I think he's the the one that it would make sense to to yeah drop and, and see how Glenn Phillips goes because the guy's dynamite. Uh, he's, he's playing well wherever he uh, plays at the moment, and I think he deserves a shot. Right, let's uh, turn our attention to uh, rugby, gents, if we can. Uh, Super Rugby and the Highlanders have signed former England international Freddie Burns at 10 for them this season. Uh, uh, Not unusual for overseas players to be signed for one-off seasons as such. In fact, the Highlanders have done it on more than one occasion themselves. And, of course, the high-profile signing last year of Pablo Montero for the uh, Crusaders. So uh, what do you make of the signing of Burns? Does that indicate uh, a lack of playmakers? Uh, yeah, uh, yep, I think it does. Um, you know, you look around the country, and I don't really think, you know, there's no obvious number 10 who's not already contracted to the super side that they, um, that they could have picked up, really. Um, I might be missing someone. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, uh, in, in, in Wellington, it's been a big issue over the last five years. Um, you look around, I mean, Auckland has sort of um, seems to have chopped and changed quite a bit. Um, I mean, even Canterbury, I don't think there's much depth in number 10 at the moment, and, and, and normally they just sort of churn them out like anything. Yeah, it'll be interesting, actually, to see how, how he goes with his uh, style of play and uh, what Clark Dermody wants him to do in, in that respect, uh, Ben. But uh, it wasn't a name I was expecting to pop up in a super rugby team, Freddie Burns. No, absolutely. I, I, yeah, there is a, certainly an issue with uh, with depth in the position across the country. I think... The Chiefs look in decent shape. I mean, they've got Damian McKenzie, Bryn Gatland, and Joshuani. If Joshuani was, you know, good enough to start for the Highlanders and, and might be their third choice, I mean, they've they've got some depth. But uh, over over the whole of the country, there seems to be a lack of depth. And and I think I talked to you late last year about concerns about sort of the development pathway in New Zealand rugby and and high performance coaching and, and what they're you know, aiming to do with their players. And, and I think this sort of comes back to that where uh, we had a, a, a production line of, of really good talent over the past sort of 20 years or so, and it's fallen away. And I, I don't have answers as to to exactly what's going wrong, maybe at, um, at secondary school level and that sort of thing, but we're just not producing the talent across the board that we once were, and I think it's something that NZ Rugby needs to take a very good look at because it's not just first fives. It's It genuinely is across the board that we're not seeing genuine world-class talent emerge or, uh, you know, Super Rugby uh, New Zealand talent below that. 
Is it is it a fait accompli that the um, uh, these new tackle laws are, are going to be set in concrete? Uh, do you think, Graham? I mean, you know, the the sternum height and then at the lesser levels, uh, waist uh, as a maximum height. Do you see that coming in and being effective? I think it's probably too early to say at this stage. I mean, they're only introducing it in community rugby in England, aren't they? So the professional well, 50, game... 50,000 people said, no, we don't want it. We don't want a bar of it. Um, signed a petition in the course of about 48 hours. So that's pretty strong response against. That is quite a few. I mean, I guess they'll dog trial it for a year or so in England. Um, so I'm not too concerned about it at this stage. But obviously in England, I mean, they're facing massive... Um, Legal suits, etc. So I assume that's what's driving this um, this initiative. So um, yeah, I, I think we'll wait and see how it goes for a couple of years in community level. If there is such widespread opposition to it, if that continues, then I think they will quickly sort of sweep it under the carpet. A bit like the ELVs from um, ten years ago. Okay. Um, just finally, I'd like to talk some tennis if I can. Uh, ben um, Novak Djokovic is. A buck thirty-six to go on now and win the Australian Open. It's been carnage for his fellow seeds uh, to this point. Is it his to lose now? We're even with a supposed injury. Absolutely, he's phenomenal, isn't he? I just, I, I can't uh, comprehend how he just seems to. You know that that second set last night, he looked as good as he ever has, and, and there were so many comments from people just saying, you know, how <laughs> basically how is he? Playing that well, one of the best sets of tennis you'll see, an, an obliteration of his opponent. Um, he he is the odds-on favourite, and, and in some ways, I find it disappointing because you want tennis to have some more stars emerge after Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, and it just doesn't quite look like it's happening yet. In fact, I was just reading a story this morning about the Netflix curse, where every single person in their documentary on the tennis tour has dropped out before getting into the second week of the Open. So it's um, all, all that young talent just isn't quite ready to emerge, which which leaves Djokovic as the absolute favourite in this tournament. Okay. Uh, and for you, Graham, is, uh, is it his? You'd think so. It's looking, it's looking pretty ominous, isn't it, really? I mean, if, if he's down to $1.36 at this stage in the tournament, then... Um, yeah, it just goes to show he still is at a level way above all these new people coming through. Um, I've been enjoying following Corder, obviously with his um, uh, backstory and you know, uh, coming from such a talented family, etc. I've been seeing him uh, progress. He seems like a nice guy as well, but um, I, I think he would really struggle if he ends up coming up against Djokovic. So, um, yeah, I think um, he'll be turning the tables on all the drama of last year. I think you're right. I think he was very, very hungry to turn up and win uh, this time around, particularly after last year. I think it's a hell of a motivating factor for him. Uh, Graham Beasley and uh, Ben Strang, thank you very much for your time this morning. Uh, they were our panellists, folks, and we'll have another one at uh, the same time tomorrow morning to discuss various uh, sporting uh, events and um, issues around the world. Uh, we'll be back shortly. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. A few texts have come in on uh, our temper bedpost text machine uh, number, which is double eight double three. We encourage you to use it double eight double three. Any number of issues uh, this morning, and particularly this uh, tackle law and community rugby, will it uh, be adopted at higher level? Do you see it advancing any further? All about uh, protecting the head from concussion. But uh, Ben Stokes coming in and saying uh, his uh, father, Jared Stokes, had to give away rugby league because. 
uh, of a neck injury when his head met um, an opponent's knee. So he says uh, more emphasis on tackling around the knee hip area. They're hard joints. They're very hard joints to, to whack. Um, so uh, he perceives uh, it might not be a, a solving uh, solution in that regard. Sonny Bill Williams saying bring it on because um, offloading offloading will be a massive factor. We know how damn good he was at that. Uh, just the chat there on uh, Freddie Burns coming in and playing for the Highlanders. A couple of texts have come in. Uh, hi, Ian, to your panel. Don't uh, you worry about Canterbury. We have some great potential talent in the first five position. That's from Mikey G. And uh, you're right, Mikey. I mean, I, I can't really remember a time in uh, the last uh, 30 years where uh, Canterbury haven't had a quality number 10 player, maybe even going further back than that, a quality 10. Canterbury have always had a production line for that, and uh, I, I can't see that being any different there. I'd be amazed if that was one of the reasons why uh, they were deficient uh, any time. Uh, the other one uh, coming from Sean say, whenever we talk about a lack of depth in certain positions in New Zealand rugby, some champion always comes from nowhere. Uh, Sean has said Mertens, Cronfeld, McCaw, all very good examples of that. So uh, thanks for your, your thoughts there, Sean. That's interesting. Uh, Brian has come in and said, uh, Greetings, Ian. Maybe a dumb question, but will the Duke ball or the Kookaburra ball be used for the test against England? Uh, also, how could you not play Trent? Isn't he our best bowler? Uh, I don't know if Trent Bolt would um, even make himself available, to be fair. Uh, he might get the bug back um, because um, he might just feel like he's got it in him. I, I would I would personally, if I want to beat England, I personally want to have my best bowlers. Uh, I think he is still our best bowler, even test cricket. Um, I think he'd make the top side, so I would be picking him. And, and if, I, uh, if I remember right, it will be uh, the Kookaburra ball, same as uh, used in Australia. New Zealand cricket have always uh, tended towards uh, the Kookaburra ball, so I, I would be expecting that, which is a difference, of course, to England where they... Play with the Duke ball. It's 10.51. Uh, we'll be back uh, talking to uh, Brendan Popperwell and uh, maybe Louis Herman Watt as well. And are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. 10.56 here on SENZ, and uh, Louis Herman Watt uh, joins us again uh, after taking a short break from his breakfast show. Not much in the offing today. Some greyhounds uh, coming out of uh, Addington. 12 races at 11.02. But uh, what's been the wash-up from the weekend for you, uh, Louis? I talked to Butcher a wee bit about it yesterday, the presence of... Uh, Overseas jockeys having an impact. Yeah, it's a great point. Nigel Tiley joins Clayto and me on the Good Oil, and there's not too many better people to talk about uh, riding internationally than Nigel Tiley, right, Smithy? And he said, and he talked us through beautifully the difference in rider that Craig Zaki and Warren Kennedy are. But the big thing about them is they are so dedicated, so astute, so researched. It's really the professionalism of them is kind of shows, I guess, New Zealand jockeys where they can be. And not to say that our jockeys aren't professional here, but here's, here's two, here are two men that have turned up in New Zealand and that have stuck their head down, have earned good rides, 
and then have delivered. And that's how you keep getting big rides. You deliver. And they were both beautiful rides on prowess. Warren Kennedy got her on the spot, gave the course her chance and urged her along. Opie Boston sat on her back and couldn't run her down. So that's a testament to the filly. She was just the strongest in the race. And Craig Zaki, well, he knew that the tempo was going to be insane in the two-year-old race. It always is. But he didn't care. He was last on the turn. He cut the corner a little bit. And then as soon as he saw a window, he leant down on his left leg and, and got his way out into the middle of the track and said, see you later, and, and hadn't used that much petrol to that stage. It's just brilliant riding and two massive additions, Smithy. So, yeah, there was that. And, and I guess in, in overall terms, it was just such a good day of racing and paratrears and, and a lot of them. And, and this weekend, Smithy, Wellington Cup and Thorndon Mile. Yeah, we'll talk about that uh, more during the week, uh, Louis. Thanks very much for that. Um, Brendan Popwell, surely, without doubt, the most dapper man presenting racing around the globe, not just around New Zealand. Uh, Pops, uh, welcome into the show and welcome back uh, on air. Um, uh, Tennis, I guess tennis uh, is uh, high on the agenda, is it? Nope, no Pops, not there. Absolutely not there. Uh, Hello, Pops, yeah, um, just saying saying it's uh, tennis... Tennis on the agenda. What other sports are, are you highlighting? Yeah, certainly. Tennis has been a little bit quiet this morning, though, Smithy. Um, but overall, uh, we've seen Djokovic, who's the man that just they just want to back. They just want to keep backing him to win the whole tournament. So he's a dollar thirty-six. Can tell you now, he's running through a mountain of multis uh, at that dollar thirty-six price, and even uh, when he was around that dollar sixty mark. So, uh, but yeah, nothing coming through yet on the on the matches throughout the day. Yet I'm sure that'll build to the afternoon. And the Black Caps. Boy, there's some uh, keen punters out there to back the Black Caps at $3.20 against India tonight. India $1.33. Some key power plays to look into here. Any two players out for a duck at $3. And also the power player Rohit Sharma, 4 fours, and Mohamed Sharma, two wickets at five fifty has been well played. and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Can he find the net? He's got to score, remember, or India are out. Shams is moving the feed. He can't find the save, and the second one is there. It's all over. New Zealand have beaten India in a shootout, and the hosts are out of their own World Cup. New Zealand, third in Pool C, having beaten only Chile, have come to India's backyard and defeated them in a shootout. And it is despair for India. Their wait for World Cup reward goes on. And huge disappointment for India, but take nothing away from New Zealand because they have been excellent this evening. Fantastic performance that uh, from the Black Sticks uh, through to the quarterfinals of the FIH World Cup in India after pulling off a stunning upset. You could hear it in the commentator's voice. It was uh, totally against the grain. Uh, And the penalty shootout, it's a result that caused a stir after New Zealand only managed one win in pool play before taking that crossover match. Next up, they'll face the number two ranked side in the world, Belgium. A real task. It's a big ask for the Black Sticks ranked 10th, but they've shown... Of course, that they can win the hard way if they can keep it close. So can they do it again? And joining us now in studio is the former Blackstick with over 750 caps to his name, 
plus uh, a couple of Commonwealth Games medals as well, Stephen Jennison. Also, Stephen, uh, welcome to SCNZ. Welcome to the team. I uh, understand that you've uh, just joined the, the sales staff in the last 24 hours or so. So what was your first day at work like? Yeah, cheers, Smitty. Yeah, no, it was um, a good day. The team welcomed me in um, nicely and, um, you know, day two now and um, I've, you know, into my work. Into your work, good man. Uh, I wish you all the best in, in your new role, I certainly do. Uh, that was a great result, though, yesterday. Uh, against the grain, I think it's fair to say. Um, the Black Sticks, yeah, uh, fantastic performance. Yeah, it was. Um, I think probably one of the hardest things to do is to beat India in India. So, um, you know, for the boys to get that kind of result in front of the, the massive um, Indian crowd, um, you know, it was, a, it was a tough little game. But as soon as you go to a shootout, um, anything can happen. And I think, you know, as you know, us Kiwis, we, we back ourselves in those sort of um, pressure moments. And to do that in India is, is, is a massive result. We see so many uh, penalty shootouts in football. We've just, uh, of course, seen a World Cup that was dominated by penalty shootouts there. Tell us about a one-on-one -on -one situation, a penalty um, shootout, a penalty stroke in hockey, because I've never done it. Uh, I've looked at a, quite a few of them. Who are the odds heavily in favour of there? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, you've got eight seconds, so... You know, you got the ball. I think the odds are probably with the keeper these days. Like, there's a lot of analysis goes into a lot of video footage. You know, there's databases of, um, you know, footage going back years and years of different players and their tendencies. Um, and keepers do a lot of homework now um, just to sort of work out what's the best approach. And, you know, they might protect one side of the goal a little bit more or a player might go to their backhand or forehand a little bit more so they can, you know, sort of dictate where the attacker goes. Um, and then the players on the ball, I mean, it's all, you can have a plan, but that can, you know, um, change pretty quickly. So you've got to, you know, play with a little bit of instinct. Um, so I think it's probably more in the keeper's favour, but in saying that, you back yourself one-on-one -on -one to score against the keeper. But, um, you know, in those sort of pressure moments, um, it can be, you know, tougher than you think. Practice it a lot? Yeah. I mean, the, the Black Six boys, they'll be, you know, at the end of most sessions, we'll be, we'll be training that. I mean, it's hard to emulate um, that sort of pressure. So, you know, you'll try and make it a competition. You know, you'll go mate against mate and, you know, split into two different teams, make sure you're going against all the different keepers in the squad and then chucking, you know, a few, you know, pressure. You know, it might be a bit of a punishment on the, the losing team, but um, you spend a lot of time on it. And, um, I mean, it decides big games now. So, you know, if you're a, you know, if you're very handy at um, taking one-on-one, -on -one, you know, you might, you know, you might find yourself selected more than, you know, someone else that um, doesn't want to do them anymore. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, the other area of, of uh, scoring, of course, which is quite prevalent, is uh, from set pieces, the penalty corner, two of the three New Zealand goals um, in regulation time coming from that yesterday. Is that a typical uh, area of strength when, when you were playing as well, a typical focus? Yeah, it is. Um, the set pieces, you know, massive in, in today's hockey. I mean, um, I've kind of felt for... Um, our flickers in this tournament, you know, Kane Russell couldn't couldn't quite get firing in the pool play. I'm glad he's been able to get the ball across the line now because his confidence will go, you know, through the roof, and that'll, you know, sit nicely for him against um, uh, Belgium. But I mean, yeah, it's again, it's something that you spend a lot of um, time analysing, you know, a lot of time practicing, um, and the skill sets are, you know, they're not straightforward. They're, you know, you spend hours and hours trying to perfect them just so you got that one opportunity to, to score. And then there's not just the flicking, there's the variations and things. So you'll analyse the the, um, the, um, the fence and make sure there's you know a few opportunities where you can go to a variation if the flicks aren't on. So we lost in Pool C to Malaysia 3-2. Uh, 
uh, 4-0 loss to the Netherlands uh, and a win against Chile to get us to the point that we played India, of course. So it looks like um, you know the, we, we were struggling up in, until that point. Can you, can you really put a finger on what the turnaround was? Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> I know I've, I've spoken to a few of the boys that are over there. They they are trialling a new structure, a new system um, in defence, and I think it's it's not a passive way of defending, but it looks can look that way. And I think they were just sort of finding their feet a little bit um, in the pool games, and against you know an Asian team and a European team, it can work differently. So I think now that they've you know a bit more confident in that structure, um, and obviously worked against India. Um, I think yeah they'll build they'll build on that and especially going into the Belgians um, this you know we have a lot of players that do play over in Belgium um, in the in the club league and things like that so when the boys know that team really well we know the structure will you know cause them some issues um, so I think they should you know take confidence from the Indian game and um, and apply that against the, the world number two. So we know uh, obviously with those players playing in Belgium we know Belgium pretty well. Uh, but they are the second-ranked team in the world. How much do we have to go ahead from that performance against India to match them? Yeah, I mean, the good thing, they, they are beatable. Um, they're an old team. Um, well, I probably shouldn't say that they're an experienced team. Um, and they've been around a long time. But I think, you know, even just from my, my own experience playing against Belgium, the longer you're in the game, the tighter the scoreline is towards the end. Um, they panic and they... They think they should be, you know, beating you by a number of goals. So you're always in it, run to the to the end. And you know, we saw that with the Kiwi boys the other night. Um, but I think that's probably the biggest thing against Belgium is they're a confidence team. So sooner, you know, the longer you're in the match, um, the better it is for for the Kiwi boys. So uh, our side, uh, our squad now. Um, what about um, the age group mix in that? Is it, is this a side of developing side? Uh, should we look forward to higher rankings out of this team? Yeah, I think for sure. The, the younger players that are coming through are, are super talented, and then you've got a few of the, the older heads there that are, um, you know, um, showing them the way a little bit. Um, but there's some definitely some young players there that have, you know, coming out from different regions of the country that are, yeah, super talented. And I think over the next, you know, year and a bit, sort of leading into to Paris, I think they'll do really well. It'll just be interesting to see um, who out of the experienced players stick around. You know, you like Simon Child, Blair Tarrant, Hugh Ingalls. Will they stay on and um, and you know um, push towards Tokyo? Um, I think that'll be a key factor towards how they go in Paris. But there's plenty of youth, and I think um, they'll develop nicely um, leading into Paris. And um, I'm sure they'll get um, some decent results along the way. How lucrative is it to play in some of these leagues overseas? Um, it's not at a rugby or cricket sort of level, but it's it's decent. We've got a handful of guys that are it's their full time job. Um, you know, there's a few of the boys that are playing in Germany now earning some pretty decent money and with the, the Euro conversion, it's not bad when you bring it home. So um, there's a number of guys that now are, um, are full professionals and it's sort of heading that way now of hockey. You know, there's more and more cash going into the sport, which which is helpful. But um, I wouldn't say it's lucrative, um, but it's, you know, it's sort of heading that way of being more and more professional. What's the ultimate goal in hockey for for a New Zealand player? Is it is it the Olympics or is it a world championship? It's a Olympic gold. I mean, to do what the boys did in '76. Um, that's always been, um, you know, when when I was playing was you know that was the target. That's the dream is to win Olympic gold. Um, yes, yeah, so I think that's what sort of gets the boys out of bed every morning is to you know aiming for an Olympic gold medal and World Cups are, are you know. Uh, are awesome but the Olympic gold that's the pinnacle um, of our sport 
What's the state of hockey like, uh, field hockey like uh, in New Zealand at, the, at this point, numbers wise? Yeah, I think it's growing. Um, yeah, I think the sport's doing doing well. I think the New, Z- New Zealand hockey and their partners are all doing their best to, to make sure the sport keeps growing. Um, and there's plenty of you know young talent um, amongst the amongst the ranks. And I think the best thing they're doing now was sort of moving things um, to the regions. You know, it's always been um, an Auckland centralised program. Um, but now they're moving more into the regions, and I think having black sticks, you know, around the country will help that and and keep the the youth um, progressing. Um, I think it's it's pretty healthy, and I think as long as the black sticks men and women are doing well on the world stage, that will that will um, continue to grow. What prompted you to finish? Um, yeah, well, I was I spent a number of years playing over in Europe, um, and sort of abruptly had to come home with the COVID pandemic, um, and just sort of um, got to a point where I needed to focus in on a career outside of hockey, um, and then I pushed forward to Tokyo Olympics, and then you know I find, kind of felt like that was the right time to to sort of finish up. I haven't I haven't actually um, officially announced my retirement, but it's pretty safe to say I won't be coming back. <laughs> but um, <laughs> <laughs> but um. Yeah, I think the the time was right, and it's it's such a massive commitment to to be at that sort of level, and you got to be, you know, that's got to be your main focus every single day is to be a better hockey player, so or better athlete. So I got to a point where, yeah, that's no longer the, the case. So I think it's the right time to step away. A lot of these tournaments that uh, the Black Sticks, both men and women, play in, uh, go under the radar a wee bit. I mean, you've racked up two hundred and fifty games yourself. Um, and you look at a number of players uh, over the years who've racked up huge numbers without uh, a lot of it even, I guess, being noticed. And I, I don't want to be rude about that. It's just that rugby, you know, rugby and cricket and those things sort of tend to dominate the headlines a wee bit more. Yeah, I mean, I guess the nature of the, the hockey tournaments being shortened, you might play, you know, um, seven games over a 10-day period. So it's, you know, it's pretty... Um, physically tough and but you do you have to back up a lot so you know you can rack up quite a few tests you know if you're playing every tournament throughout a, a calendar year so you can rack them up and um but it's yeah I mean to get 250 games it does sound like a lot but um that was over I mean a 10 year space I guess so 10 to 12 yeah something around those lines so you know it was a bit of time in the in the squad and um there was obviously tournaments here and there that I missed um through mm. non-selection or injury and things like that so I mean, yeah, there are some big numbers, and I guess, you know, like people want to, playing for your country is quite special, so I think people really want to, you know, try and prolong their careers as long as they can and attend the events like the Olympic Games, Commonwealth Games, um, and be part of those events. It's it's pretty special, so I can see why players, you know, there's Eddie Ockenden now in the Australian team who's just racked up 400 games, and it's, you know, he's done 15 or so years. Like, it's, it's a long, long time to commit to um, to hockey, but... I mean, if you love it and it's um, there's opportunities to go to those events, it's you know it's it's a cool thing to do. What would make us stronger in terms of, in terms of hockey? More uh, Australian competition, for instance. Are they the yardstick? Are they the are they the team we look at? Uh, um, you know, as the All Blacks look at the Wallabies, etc. Is that our yardstick? Yeah, I think so. Like we're pretty similar, the Aussies, um, and us. Our style of play, um, you know, super fast and physical. I think the hardest part for for um, ourselves is, you know, the Europeans are so close. They play test matches, you know, every week against each other and, um, you know, their youth programs are really good and they've just, you know, like under-16 Belgium are playing under-16 Holland, like it, every week. So it's just that competition, like we're a long way away from everybody else. So 
just playing against Australia isn't isn't quite enough. We need to be playing against European teams, Asian teams more often, and um, and that's through not just from the Black Six, but dropping down to under twenty ones, under eighteens, under sixteen. So those youth teams as well. Um, yeah. Stephen, uh, tell us about um, your individual highlights. What what you know the high points for you in your career. Yeah, like kind of what I mentioned, I think the Olympic Games is, you know, they're huge and that was what I aspired to to attend when I was a, just a young fella. So, yeah, I'm, you know, I was lucky enough to go to London, um, Rio and Tokyo. Um, all had, you know, all were a completely different experience. So the highlights are definitely the Olympic Games. I mean, there was obviously a few disappointments there in some of those matches that cost us, um, you know, medal chances. But when you look back now and you look back at um you know what you're able to achieve in your career attending those sorts of events and um you know it's it's yeah as I've mentioned it's pretty special so to be able to do three of them over over my career was you know something I'm I'm very proud of hockey's at an interesting stage because you know there are injuries as hockey as we well know but there's so much and we've talked about it this morning on the show about concussion and rugby and those sorts of things now I, I would have thought that hockey now might be able to cash in on that kind of thing at school level because a lot of parents are, are pushing their kids away from those uh, head contacts those areas uh, you know where they become vulnerable there is, th- is that an opportunity for hockey you feel yeah potentially I mean Hockey can can be dangerous in itself, but you, without getting the, that you know head on head collisions and and things like that, it's um, it's I guess you know parents might see it as a bit of a, a safer option for their kids. But um, there's definitely an opportunity there to. Um, but I mean, like hockey, we wel- you know all welcome anybody, and and it's a chance for um, you know young kids to to learn different skills. Um, and you know it's different from just catching and throwing a ball. It's you know there's a lot of hand eye coordination, and you know a lot of people. Mm. Um, yeah, I think there's there's definitely an opportunity there for hockey to take advantage of that. You turned your back on hockey, uh, or are you you're going to still maintain an interest in coaching or in some capacity? Yeah, I'm actually um, player coach for the Auckland Indian Sports Club. Um, so I've been there for a, a few na- years now, and um, the player coaching dynamics interesting one. And um, you know, I'm sure the players probably prefer me just to be um, coaching um, on the field. I'm a little bit different to who I am when I'm standing in the dugout, but. Um, yeah, I'm enjoying, enjoying the coaching aspect, and I think um, you know I'll do that for a little bit. Um, and then there, m- there might be an opportunity for me to still play f- um, for my home region, Wellington, in the in the National Hockey League or, or things like that. But um, for now, it's just you know focus on the club season and um, and make sure I do a good job for the club. And being a, an international sportsman, uh, hopefully the that will open doors up for you, um, especially and an Olympian as well, uh, in terms of what you're trying to do now, your new vocation. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully that that network and um, you know the people that I've got to meet along the way will um, will certainly help. Well, Stephen, it's been uh, cool catching up with you, mate. Uh, thanks. Uh, the input. Uh, are we a starters chance against Belgium? A starters chance? Yeah, I think so. I'd I'd put my money down on the boys to get to get the job done. Really? Okay. Well, <laughs> I'll have a look at the market. Thanks very much, uh, Stephen uh, Janice. All the very best uh, with your new role with uh, SENZ in the sales department, folks. If you're uh, looking at advertising on the radio, why not speak to an Olympian about his experiences uh, while you're organising some advertising as well. Stephen, all the very best. Thanks for your time, mate. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Stephen Janice there, who's uh, with us now. He's been 24 hours in the job, and um, I'm sure uh, he will uh, be very successful with his background in uh, international sport as well.
Uh, fascinating to see his career move there and uh, wish him all the best. It's uh, coming up to 11.21 here on SENZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.25 uh, here on SENZ and uh, we uh, mentioned earlier that there was a Premier League match uh, on this morning. It has just finished. Uh, Tottenham 1, Fulham 0. So uh, good uh, three points there for Tottenham in their race to stay uh, in touch to the top four in uh, the top league in the EPL. Uh, and a significant uh, goal as well, scored by one Harry Kane. Kane. Yes. Number 266. Harry Kane equals Jimmy Greaves at Craven Cottage against a team where he's had a lot of success and it was a lovely goal, typical of Kane on this landmark moment, one away from setting a new landmark. Yeah, big uh, big moment in that. It was a beautiful strike too, uh, just prior to half-time, uh, Harry Kane there. So uh, that's important for Spurs as they look to stay in touch. Uh, they have um, now played one more game than uh, some of the teams around them, but their situation is uh, after that one having 21 games, they have 36 points. They're a long, long way adrift of Arsenal who have two games in hand. They've played 19 for their 50. Gosh, they're having a great season. Uh, Manchester City... Uh, 45 points, uh, Newcastle, what a season they're having, uh, Newcastle there, 39, of course, uh, getting rid of Chris Wood and uh, dumping him on uh, Nottingham Forest, dumping him might be the wrong expression for that, um, uh, Manchester United uh, currently sitting in fourth, so a bit of a uh, rejuvenation there on their season, Liverpool have improved from a poor start to uh, be in ninth position now on 29 points, uh, and then you've got uh, power clubs like uh, Chelsea down at 10th, um, and uh, of interest, uh, Bournemouth, Everton and Southampton now uh, hold the bottom four spots, uh, Bournemouth and uh, Wolves level on 17 points, Everton with 15, Southampton on 15, uh, but Everton, uh, Logan Swinkles made a move this morning in terms of their manager, uh, getting rid of uh, Frank Lampard. Yeah, I mean, if the results aren't coming, we know how cutthroat the EPL can be, and yeah, as of today, he is gone, Berger, no longer the manager, Smithy. Yeah, and uh, of course, a fantastic career uh, with West Ham, the Lampard family, actually. Um, but uh, yeah, he was uh, uh, running on borrowed time there. Everton have had a pretty poor season of it, and um, uh, they're looking a little bit destined at the moment. Burnley, uh, on the other hand, are going really well in the championship. If you're looking at promotion, uh, 28 matches played there, Burnley uh, 62 points, um, Sheffield United uh, 57 points, Watford who have been up and down um, like the proverbial in terms of uh, their positioning in the EPL, they're sitting third on 44 points and uh, Blackburn 43 with Norwich 42. So uh, there's some familiar names uh, floating uh, in the relegation zone and in the promotion side of things as well. So. Uh, keeping an eye on it, still a long way to go, of course, in the the championship and the EPL as such. But Arsenal are uh, looking really, really good at this point. Right, uh, we might uh, sequester some calls, I think, because uh, we've got 150 bucks to give away 
in terms of uh, TAB vouchers, 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811 as we come up to the 11.30 news. Uh, without a help, when we return, uh, your opportunity to scoop the poll. We'll have uh, three subjects for you uh, to choose from, pick one, and then answer three questions right if you can, or uh, particularly the third one, uh, and you could be in the money. So uh, go to Arawa now, and then we'll... The business, the business of trying to give you some cash. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. A $150 TAB bonus bet voucher. That is what we're playing for today. We're stumped by Smithy here on SCNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Smithy, using the gloves well, he's dismissed a couple of unlucky punters who haven't been able to get there. Smithy, you're up to 150. Your mission was to get the kitty up uh, this week. So far, I think you're doing pretty well, mate. Yep, not uh, doing too badly at all. So um, 150 is a, a really nice prize. Uh, for someone to win. Uh, what are our subjects today, our subject options? Well, we have rugby, the Auckland Tuatara, and the Black Sticks. So if you've been paying attention over the last few days on the show, you might get handsomely rewarded. And first at the crease, we've got Jason from Auckland. Come in, mate. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, good, Jason. Um, uh, what, what do you like out of those three? Ah, oh, look, I, I know I shouldn't choose the rugby because you're so good at it, but I'll, I'll go there anyway. I like the confidence. Right. I like the confidence. Good luck. Okay. Good luck, Jace. Sometimes you just never know, mate. You never know. Play your hand. Play it well. You might just win. Or... Smithy might stump you. First question. With the sacking of Dave Rennie, Eddie Jones is handed a second shot as Wallabies coach. From 2001 to 2005, he led the team in 57 matches. Robbie Deans was in charge for 75. Who had the better winning percentage? Uh, oh, 50-50. That's a good way to get kicked out first up. Uh, let's go, Eddie Jones. One of the worst things... I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Oh, Jason, I think we'll, we'll just say goodbye now, mate. Smithy? <laughs> yeah, I think Robbie Deans. Robbie Deans, yeah. I think I'll go Robbie. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. It's close, though. It's close. Eddie Jones, 57.89. Robbie Deans, 58.67. So not much between them, Smithy. Okay, I... Well, I knew Robbie Deans uh, was certainly better than Dave Rennie. Dave Rennie's record, I think, is uh, the worst by any overseas coach uh, who's had a crack at coaching uh, the Wallabies. So, uh, Right, OK, uh, so uh, that's the end of Jason from Auckland. Who next? Cliff from Dunedin. You're at the crease, mate. How you doing? Yeah, very well, lad. How's your rugby knowledge? Oh, handy, handy. <laughs> All right, well, 150 TAB... Bonus bet is uh, up for grabs for you today, mate. Second question. Who replaced Eddie Jones as Wallabies coach in 2006? Oof. So, so it wasn't Dean's because he, he replaced Dean, didn't he? Uh, Rod, 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 
that fella's name. The uh... I'll give you five seconds. <laughs> nah, I uh, no, I can't. Rob, someone, I can't think of his last name. One of the worst Ollie. things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Feel like I could, I could hear the cogs turning. Uh, from Dunedin all the way up here in Auckland, Smithy. Uh, do you have an answer for me? Well, if it's Rod, it's Rod McQueen, surely. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. John Connolly was the answer I was looking for. Knuckles Connolly. Knuckles Connolly. There you go. Oh, God. You're a survivor, well, Cliff. You, you, live. Day. <laughs> you sure do. And that, that, that day is right now. Question three. Oh, yes. Question three. All on the line here, mate. Last one. Timuera Morrison, the great actor that he is, plays Eddie Jones in the movie based on the Brave Blossoms defeat of South Africa in the 2015 Rugby World Cup. What was the name of that 2019 movie? I don't even know anything about this movie. (laughs) No, no, I, I couldn't tell you. I'm not even going to play Richie. I'm giving him a rest. Smithy, I, this is a tough one. I will give you that. Yeah, well, it's so tough. I, I don't. I've, I think I might have seen bits of the movie. I think I might have seen bits of it. I have to have a crack. Hey, um, <sighs> Blossom Glory. I, I can't. I can't think. I, I can't think of any other thing apart from like Blossom Glory or something. The Brave. Something like that of that nature. Nah, I, I, honestly, that, that's all I've got. I'm good for. So, I'm gonna have to give this money away on the ba- on the basis of that answer. One I of think. the worst things I yeah. have ever seen done yeah. on a cricket field. Decent stab, decent stab. I'll give you that, Smithy. The the answer I was looking for is the Brighton Miracle. Oh, the Brighton Miracle. Right. Okay. That's <laughs> where they. Oh, oh, they played there, did they? Yeah. Clearly, they played at Brighton. So. <sighs> 2015, yeah, what a result that was. And what a result for you too, Cliff, just by the by. Well done. Hey, thanks, buddy. Uh, yeah, they were tricky ones. They were probably tricky ones indeed, mate. Yeah, probably a little <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I kind of think that uh, the hard questionnaire came out today, not the good questionnaire, the evil questionnaire. But anyway, uh, you won. 1137 uh, here on SENZ. You stay on the line. Uh, Brian will just confirm that we've got all your details so we can get that uh, that voucher to you, eh? Good luck. And and use it well. Okay. Spend it wisely. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, Cliff from Dunedin, who's the big winner here with 150, 150 bucks. Brighton. Miracle of Brighton. Goodness me. Uh, yeah, as I said, coming up to 11.38. Who, who wrote those? Well, you want to know who wrote those? It is the qu- the question master, Brian Rarity. What is the process, mate? Because sometimes those questions are so easy. And then other times you come up with something like that. And unless you're someone who just chews up every little bit of media, I don't know if you'd get them. Look, all I can say is uh, there used to be a bloke sitting in Logan Swinkle's chair that would have nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Right, you did right. Sometimes um, they come to me through a vision and other times it's through a dream. But uh, yeah, we never know whether it's going to be good or bad. Just stay tuned. 
Okay, stay tuned. So we'll be back to 50 bucks tomorrow, folks. I'm sorry about that. Uh, but Cliffy, you're the benefactor, and uh, we'll be back very shortly. And service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, come out to 11.44 here on SENZ. A couple of texts have come in. Um, Hi, Smithy. I get really disappointed when super franchises sign overseas players. The Burns contract defies logic because New Zealand rugby is so focused on schoolboy players, we lose early to mid-20-year-olds. Uh, like I, we have Oteri Black, uh, Caleb Trask, Josh Mackay. Uh, that's from Warwick. Uh, there is um, a, a big focus on uh, first 15 rugby, actually, isn't there? You're right, and uh, getting these players very quickly into uh, to higher levels. But um, this is not uh, it's not new, uh, Warwick. It's, it's you know it's it's the news of today uh, in terms of the Highlanders. But uh, they have had um, a number of uh, overseas players. Uh, they had a flanker from England uh, whose name just eludes me and then they, of course they had the, the, the Japanese halfback uh, as well uh, that uh, the Highlanders uh, dragged in and then we, we talked about uh, Pablo Montero coming in for the Crusaders so it's, it's, it's a rarity but it's not absolutely brand new so Freddie Burns coming into the Highlanders uh, to add a little bit of uh, starch to their playmaking that's uh, their big news of signing um, also, Michael uh, from Wellington, uh, of course, enjoying a holiday yesterday. It's anniversary day. Is uh, asking me about uh, next season with the Black Caps, the White Ferns, the Super Smash, etc. Um, leaving Spark Sport and going to free to wear. Um, uh, this is good news from New Zealand cricket's point of view, quite clearly, because uh, it'll attract a, a much bigger viewing audience than uh, Spark were able to uh, to drum up because uh, of course um, everyone's got those the channels that'll be on TVNZ and I think Duke is the other one that uh, may cop some of that um, so uh, in all honesty it's going to be uh, good news from a cricket point of view Michael I'm not quite sure how that will impact uh, in terms of the grounds in terms of trying to get people to go uh, along a little bit more often to, to live cricket uh, whether uh, you can sit at home and watch it free to wear uh, is an incentive for you to do just that it'll be interesting to see but yeah, a uh, very interesting move. Came a little bit out of the blue, didn't it? Uh, halfway through a, a five-year deal. Um, and in the end, uh, New Zealand cricket and uh, cricket fans in general probably um, got the better of it, to be fair. As long as uh, the money came through, New Zealand cricket would be happy. And, of course, uh, getting my eyeballs on the screens would be good as well. Let's uh, get across to uh, the sports desk uh, again for the second time. And uh, on the cricketing subject, something unusual happened uh, in that clash yesterday between... Wellington and Canterbury, I'm led to believe. Yeah, we need to get a little fancy jingle going on, I think. Uh, something that I don't know if I've ever seen this before, Smithy. It kind of defies logic, physics, all that scientifical stuff. Uh, Nathan Smith from the Wellington Firebirds hit the stumps, but instead of uh, getting a wicket, it went for four runs. This is how that moment sounded on Spark Sport. Does just that does just that and it runs away for four. Has it hit the stumps and ricocheted down the boundary for four? Well, the bales haven't come off. <laughs> yeah, the, the bales haven't come off, as Sumo said. But you could hear it quite clearly there, Smithy, couldn't you? Well, uh, in the uh, pitch, um, sorry, in the stump, Mike, quite clearly, yeah, that is a ball on on uh, wood. So, yeah. Uh, look, not the first time this happens. They do, 
I'm not sure if it was a windy day yesterday in Wellington, but over the years at the Basin Reserve in particular, in test matches, first-class cricket, uh, if it's windy, they use heavier bales. Hmm. And it's not the first time uh, I've seen little deflections, particularly with a bowler, not so much from uh, throws from the... Uh, the outfield or uh, a shot at the stumps, more so from a bowler bowling a delivery where it just glances across the top of the off stump or, or shaves the off stump or the leg stump. Um, and obviously uh, it does make contact, but it, it's not enough contact to shake the bales loose. Of course, for the uh, dismissal to be effective, the bales have to be dislodged, and or one bale does. So um, it's not unusual. Uh, in fact, I was uh, commentating a, a game of Big Bash in Australia, and the Renegades were... We're playing first up against the Brisbane Heat. Um, and Nick Maddinson, who was going along quite nicely as the Renegades coach uh, captain, was played a shot. Um, and uh, he was his feet were actually about, I don't know, two feet from the base of the stumps. His bat was nowhere near the stumps. Bale just fell off. And they were those uh, the zinger bales that light up, you know, uh, which makes it look a bit more spectacular. Well, it just fell to the ground. And uh, the, the Brisbane Heat fielders celebrated, thinking that he'd walked on his wickets or hit his wickets with his bat, which is uh, a genuine dismissal. Uh, and, and then the, the TMO got involved because uh, Maddinson looked a bit baffled by the whole thing, but was he was actually quite quite willing to leave the field until he was stopped. And when you saw the television replays, it just fell off. I mean, like a ghost or something knocked it off. It was just the weirdest. No one was anywhere near the damn thing. So we tried to work out what would, how that could that possibly happen, and the theory was that sometimes when they put the stumps into the ground at the start of play, they have to wet the ground or moisten the ground so the stump can actually go in to the right depth. Sometimes that leaves them quite loosely sitting in the ground as such, uh, and the theory was that it was so loose, the stump was so loose that just the the action of his foot being close to the stumps may well have just jogged the stump and let the bale fall off, which defies common sense, really, because, um, you know, that was quite late on in the piece. And the bowlers run close to the stumps time after time after time and land close to the stumps, and nothing had happened. It was absolutely just an out-and-out freak of nature. But often, often, and at the Basin Reserve in particular, they have used heavy bales because of the wind. That's yeah. That wow. That is a crazy story. And just my mind immediately thinks, thank God for the third umpire, Smithy. Because you imagine back in the day when you didn't have that kind of technology, that player probably would have been forced to walk and would have no proof to suggest that he did not step on his on his wicket. No, the the proof is the bale sitting on the ground. You're right, and um, he could have denied it. Whatever. You'd have to have a very vigilant square leg umpire to overrule that live and say no, he was nowhere near it. I'm not quite sure how that bale got there, but it wasn't contact between uh, player or bat and stumps. So an, an interesting one there. Um, you know, but I, I often see these days uh, deflections roll back onto the stumps and uh, in days gone by, the bales would have just fallen off. These days, uh, they appear a little bit harder to dislodge. And whether it's uh, because of the technologies involved in the zinger bales, of course, there's lights and all sorts of things inside that make it just a little bit heavier than in the past. I do not know. Um, I should know. I do not know. I don't really care that much, to be honest. But it it, it just happens. It, it just tends to happen a little bit more regularly than it used to. So tough Vicky yesterday at uh, the Basin Reserve, um, but genuinely uh, an odd occurrence that um, don't really want to see happen. It is 
uh, time to uh, just take a short break and uh, catch up with Steph before he takes over.